Today we finish the series, Hope Has Come, with Hope's Consummation. Our reading today is from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. It can be found on page 962 of your pew Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be put must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortal, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. As Brian said, today we're finishing up our series on, our Advent series on Hope Has Come. And our theme today is Hope's Consummation. And so I want to review for you just real quickly some of the things that we have said in these previous messages talking about hope has come. We don't have time to go through all of them. You can find them on our website if you'd like to listen to them or in the, in the podcast of the church messages, you can find them there as well. But we have t- had uh, four messages before this one talking about hope has come. On the first Sunday of Advent, we talked about hope's promise. And on that day, I shared out of Genesis chapter 3. We talked about how there was a promised Savior, a promised head striker, we talked about that day, even in the midst of the curse. As Adam and Eve sinned and God gave the curse to, to Adam and Eve that day, their punishment for what they had done, even in the midst of that, there was a promise. A promise of a savior, a promise of one who one day would come and stomp on the heel of Satan, who would one day have ultimate victory. In week two, Hope's arrival, Pastor Ron that day, shared with us about the incarnation, about how God became man, how word became flesh, how heaven stepped down into this mess, into this brokenness, into the effects of the curse how God came here in the form of man. On week three, we talked about hope's dilemma. And on that day, I was in Ephesians chapter two, and we talked about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins, how we are held captive by Satan, how we are doomed because of our very nature causes us to be doomed. We are children of wrath, Paul tells us in Ephesians. But, God, who is rich in mercy and full of grace and full of mercy, made a way for us and gave us hope. Last week, Pastor Ron shared out of the book of John about hope's foundation, how Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. And those words are the words of the rescuer. 
how the crucifixion was the climax of God's rescue plan. But not only that, it's the foundation for our redemption. Those are the messages that we have talked about so far. And I'm grateful today that I get to share with you about hope's consummation. I mentioned last time I spoke two weeks ago that that I had talked about the death of Lazarus. I had talked about the sin that came in the garden and the fall of man. I got to talk about uh, our dilemma in sin, how we were dead in our trespasses. And finally today, I get a good news message about hope's consummation. And I'm grateful to be able to share this culminating message that in our Advent series with you today. Today we're talking about hope's consummation. And we want to know how does it all come together? How does, how does all of these messages come together? What does it mean? What changes for us because hope has come? What's the final thing? What's the end result? That's what we read about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The end. The finale. And Paul gives us three pictures here in this passage that I want to look at today. He tells us what we are. He tells us what we will be. And then he tells us what to do right now. He says, so I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Those are the words that he starts this passage with. He calls us flesh and blood, talking about human nature as we know it. And we're not going to spend a long time on that, as I mentioned. If you want to go back, you can, you can hear it in the message about hope's dilemma, that our very nature causes us to sin, that no one has to teach us to want our own way, that that sin is a part of who we are from the very moment that we are brought into this world We have a desire to want our own way and to do our own thing and to go the way that we want to go. So we're dead and lost and dying and sin-stained and broken down and we are affected by the curse. That is our human nature. That is our flesh and blood. But he goes on. He doesn't just say our flesh and blood. He says the perishable does not inherit the imperishable. He even puts another descriptor on there for us, that we are perishable, that we are decaying, that we are broken down, that we are wearing out, that we are are running towards empty, that our physical bodies will not continue on in a perfect state, but that we're in a downward spiral, getting worse and worse. But he doesn't just end there. If you continue on in this passage, he also says that our bodies are, that that we are, that our bodies are mortal. That they are headed not just wearing out and breaking down, but that they are headed for death. A sure death. That they are dying. That they are finished. So when we talk about hope's consummation today, those don't seem like words that Jive with hope's consummation. Dying, wearing out, perishable, mortal. Those are not terms that we would typically associate with the kingdom of God. That doesn't feel like hope has come. And yet, when we talk about that, when I talk about how our bodies are breaking down, when I talk about how, how we're headed towards a certain death, when I talk about how we want our own way, That rings true for us. 
All of us in this room have had some kind of experience or maybe are even in right this moment in some kind of experience that that rings true for us. We understand perishable and mortal. We understand flesh and blood. We understand wanting our own way. Even this week, even this week, we experienced it in our family. Many of you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife and girls were in a car accident. They were driving down 8th Avenue in town, and, uh, and a guy didn't stop at a red light and plowed into the side of their car. Um, they were taken to the hospital and checked out, and everything seemed fine. They were, the, the, car was, the car was totaled, but the girls were fine. And then, Christmas Day, just a few days ago, uh, Jenny doesn't feel well, and, uh, and is struggling. And, and I, there's two, in, in my house, we have five of us. There's two pods we talk about. There's, there's one pod, which, which there's three of us in. I'm included in that. And we are not tough. We are weak. We are weenies. Um, there's another pod. There's two people in that pod. Jenny's in the other one. She's tough. <laughs> and, and so on Christmas Day, when, when she can't find a position at all, standing up, sitting down, laying down where she's comfortable, um, and just continues to, to be in agony, something's wrong. I mean, for me, that could be a splinter, but for her, it's something serious. So partway through Christmas Day, uh, we go and, and go to the emergency room because something is just not right. And, and when we get there, uh, they, they run some tests, and, and the very first thing they start to talk about is Jenny's worst fear, indigestion. <laughs> that seems like what you should go to the ER for on Christmas Day, doesn't it? Indigestion. So he starts to talk about that, and, and, and Jenny is, is crushed that I'm here because I have indigestion. And as he begins to, to prod around and feel around, he, he finds a spot that, that just makes her leap off the table almost. And so they quickly run a couple of different tests, a couple of different scans, find out that her spleen is bleeding from the car accident that we had the week before. And at that point then, everything changes. They're no longer talking about indigestion. Now they're talking about um, the, the surgeon is now on his way in. Uh, they've, they've contacted the, the emergency surgery team in case they need to take her spleen. Um, and, and everything changes for us in the ER. Fortunately, and I think partly because it was Christmas Day and it was not easy or convenient to do a splenectomy at that point. The doctor says, let's just rest and see if we can just, he- if it will heal up on its own and the bleed will stop on its own. And so, so Christmas night, Jenny gets to go to the ICU in the hospital and, uh, and gets to lay flat on her back on the bed and not move and hope that the bleeding spleen uh, it gets better. They continue to, to poke her and prod her, taking blood tests throughout the night, every couple of hours, then every four hours. And, and after a couple of days, her numbers steady out. And, and in fact, the, the spleen does begin to heal. Um, but this week, we were, we were in the hospital and in the ICU and dealing with, with a lot of those things. And this morning, I, I share that with you, not because... Not because it's the, the worst thing in the world. In fact, she's here this morning. You can see she's here this morning. She got out Friday from the hospital. Not because it's, it's the worst. In fact, some of you right now are dealing with things that are so much worse than what we've had to deal with this week. 
But I share it this morning, and I put it in my message here this morning because I don't think it's a coincidence that this week, when I'm talking about our perishable bodies, our bodies that are, that are broken down and headed to the grave, our mortal bodies, I don't think it's a coincidence that that happens on the same week that I'm preparing a message about our bodies. And I don't think it's a coincidence for you either, no matter where you're at in your journey, no matter what kinds of things are affecting you. Because we're all affected by it. We're all affected by the brokenness of this world. We all have perishable bodies. We all have mortal bodies. And we feel, we feel the pain of sin as it affects us. We feel the brokenness of this world. That's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But even in the midst of that, even in the midst of of this brokenness, even in the midst of, of feeling these kinds of things we also see glimpses of glory. We also see glimpses of God at work. For us, it was the glimpse that says, we have such a fragile body that, that even a stretch, a cough, a sneeze, we don't know what caused the spleen to go from not bleeding earlier in the week to bleeding on that day. But something caused that, and, and, and our bodies are so fragile, we talk about. And yet... We have a fragile body that a stretch or a cough or a yawn or something could, could cause a, a bruised and, and broken spleen to bleed. That same body, when you lay flat on a bed and don't move for two or three days, heals up just enough that you don't have to go in for surgery. It's a glimpse. It's a glimpse of future glory. At least it is for me. I think that's what Paul talks about here when he says there's this mystery. In fact, he talks in other places in the New Testament about how we see through a glass dimly. But one day, one day we won't see through the glass dimly. One day it won't be dark. One day we will see it for all it is, face to face. We will see the glory of God. And it will not be through a glass dimly. But he says here in 1 Corinthians, there's a mystery about all of this. There's a mystery about all of this. He says, you know what you are. Let me tell you about what you will be, he says. He says it this way. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the more perishable puts on the imperishable, when the mortal puts on mortality, then shall come the past that's saying, Oh, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? There's a mystery here. These perishable bodies, these mortal bodies, these these things that we have right here that are broken down and wearing out and headed to death, these things right here, Paul tells us, are going to be made new. There's a continuity between what we know right now, what we have right now, and what we will have in the future. Now, God could just give us brand new bodies, he could, that could be his plan. That could have been the way it was designed. These bodies are old, they're decayed, they're broken down, they have years of sin and neglect. 
In fact, for many, the bodies have, have, have perished, they have died, they have been put into the ground, they have decomposed, they are literally gone. God could have given us new bodies. In fact, this morning, some of us probably cringe a little bit thinking about having to take these old bag of bones with us into the afterlife. He could have done it a different way, and yet... Scripture, all through the New Testament for sure, tells us that there's a now and a not yet. There's a continuity between what we see and know and understand right here, right now on earth, and what we will have in the future, in the end. There's a continuity between here and there, the now and the not yet. We have a God who makes all things new. We have a God who makes old things new. God did not send Christ just to be a rescuer. God did not send Jesus just to be a redeemer, but he's also here to be a restorer. Jesus makes all things new. Jesus makes filthy sinners clean. Jesus makes broken bodies whole. Jesus gives sight to the blind. Jesus makes lame men walk. Jesus brings dead men, four-day dead men, out of the grave and brings them back to life. Jesus makes old things, all things, new. That is the mystery that Paul talks about here. Jesus is going to make all things, old things, new. And he's going to do it He's going to do it instantly, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the sound of a trumpet. Everything in that moment will be changed because that's the way that God works. It's especially the way that God works in our salvation. For those who have trusted in Jesus, for those who have put the full weight of their hope on Christ, they are moved from death to life, from broken to whole, from lost to found, from hell to heaven, instantly. In the twinkling of an eye, in a moment. In that moment, we are the same, but we are different. In that moment, we are the same, but we are better. God has begun a work in us. He's moved us from death to life. He's moved us from broken to whole. And yet, even in that movement, while our future is secure and our destiny is set, there's still a process that works inside of us to conform us more and more into the image of Christ to conform us more and more into his glory. There's an instant, and then there's a process. Paul says here, in that moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of a trumpet, we will be the same, but we will be different. We will be the same, but we will be better There will be no more decay. There will be no more wearing out. There will be no more brokenness. There will be no more death. We will be the same 
but we will be better. How can this be? How can this all come together? How can, how can we be the same but different? He says, it, he says it here when he says, death is swallowed up in victory, quoting from Isaiah chapter 25. And death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Death seems to be the victor. Death seems to be the the winner at the crucifixion when Jesus is crucified on the cross. When he says it is finished and hangs his head and dies, death seems at that moment to be the champion. Death seems to have won. Jesus had an apparent victory at the crucifixion. And then Jesus is raised from the dead and death is gobbled up. It's swallowed up. His apparent victory is gone and it's swallowed up by the resurrection and life of Jesus Christ. Jesus' death brings about victory. Jesus' death brings about for us, brings about life. But Paul says more than that. He doesn't just say that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? He has one more line. Oh, death, where is your sting? Not only is there no victory in death, but there's also no sting. The picture, I think, that's painted here is the serpent. You remember him from Genesis chapter 3. Serpent who brought all of this about, who tempted Adam and Eve, and they they sinned, and, and the curse comes down, and it comes down on Adam and Eve, and also on the serpent. Remember, that's where the promise comes, when he's cursing the serpent. He says that you are going to strike at their heel, but he is going to strike on your head. He is going to stomp on your head. The picture here is that that serpent is going to rear back his head, he's going to bear his fangs, and he's going to strike at your heel. And it's going to connect. And it's going to hurt. And it's going to have an impact. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be things like three days in the ICU. There's going to be moments where the fangs come and hit you and strike you. But... The sting is gone. The venom is gone. The, the, the fangs connect, but there's nothing in them. There's no power in the fangs of the serpent. It won't sting. The venom is gone. There's no power in that strike. Why is there no power in the strike? Paul tells us, says the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. One commentator says it this way. It says, the sting of death is sin, but what does that mean? It means that death is terrible because of sin. Death is death, he says, because of sin. Death is damnation and hell and gnashing of teeth and outer darkness because of sin. Paul tells us in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. Because of sin... Death is punishment. It's the final sentence. It's away from God. It's away from joy. It's into misery that never ends. That is the sting 
And that's because of sin. But Paul tells us, in verse 56, that the power of sin is the law. The punishment for our sin, this legal sentence of misery, has force and validity and authority and binding power because the law of God tells us what to do and renders God's curse on us as rebels, which we all are. So what makes death terrifying is our sin. And what gives that terror such force is that the entire law of God stands behind it. The sting of sin is death. The power of sin is the law, but he tells us then in verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Sin and death have been defeated through Christ. Paul tells us in Romans 8, there is there now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. There is no condemnation this morning for those of us that are, who, who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God. He gave us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, what we are can look forward to what we will be because God sent Jesus and hope has come. But that's not how Paul ends it here in chapter 15. It's not how he ended it in Romans chapter 8. He goes on in verse 58 to say, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Therefore, therefore. So he says, here's what you are. You are perishable. You are broken. You are mortal. You're going to to put on in a moment, in a the sound of the trumpet, in a twinkling of an eye, you're going to go from perishable to imperishable, from, from mortal to immortal. You will be changed. You will be the same, but you will be different. And then he says, therefore, because of that, because of those two truths that we've just talked about, therefore, this is what you are to do, my beloved brothers. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. There's nothing you can do about what you are. You were born with that desire that was inside of you and you sin because you are a sinner. No one taught us how to want our own way. It was already ingrained in us. It came from Adam. And that's what we are. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, 
in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment, we will be changed, we will be the same, but we will be different, we will be whole. But, therefore, because of those two things, here's what we do now. We work. We are to be steadfast. That means to continue on, to be steady, to move forward, to keep going, to don't give up. Don't be given to starting and stopping and beginning and ending. Continue on. Steady movement forward. Always moving forward. Knowing that there is enough grace even when you feel like you have worn all of it out and used it all up for today that tomorrow you can wake up and continue forward because there will be enough grace for you to work tomorrow. To be immovable. Don't get knocked down. To be able to keep your balance. To be a tree that's planted by streams of water that does not get blown over and does not get moved and abound in the work of the Lord. Paul says here, just keep doing it. Don't stop doing it. And do lots of it. Abound in it. Overflow with it. Fill your days with things that count for Christ. Work. The New Testament is filled with passages that tell us to work towards our salvation. To work. To continue doing the work that God is already doing inside of us. In Colossians, he tells us to put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, to put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. Bear with one another. Forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you. Put them on with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He tells us in Colossians chapter 3 to set our minds on things that are above. He tells us in Philippians chapter 3 to live like our citizenship is in heaven and we are to wait eagerly for our Savior to return. What do we do? while we wait for this mystery to unfold? What do we do while we wait for this ultimate consummation when Jesus will return and the trumpet will sound and our, and our dead, dying, perishable, mortal bodies are made new, different, whole, better, yet strangely the same? What do we do while we wait for that? We work. We work. We put on the things of Christ and we take off the things of our old self. We put on the things of the new nature and we take off the things of the old nature. We work. We don't just wait. We work. Those are the instructions of Paul that he gives us as we wait for hope's final consummation. The worship team is going to come. They're going to lead us this morning in the song Hope Has Come which centers on our theme for this entire series. I hope I hope that you have been encouraged as you have gone through this series. That God, in his sovereign, in his sovereign knowledge, full of grace and kindness to us, full of mercy for us, sent a redeemer, sent a restorer, sent hope 
so that we might rest only in that. Stand with me this morning as the worship team leads us. Let us join with angel voices Let us join the happy song All of heaven and earth rejoices For the Lamb of God has come He has come to rescue sinners Come to meet our desperate need He was born to bring forgiveness Born for Calvary come to say he has come to break sin's power he has come to set us free hope was born that glorious hour Christ the mighty King Hallelujah hope has come Hallelujah has come we are once we slaves in misery to you appeared and set us free hallelujah hope has come God I am grateful this morning that you sent your son be a rescuer, to be a redeemer, to be a restorer. That we might find our hope right now in this brokenness. We find our hope in you. And that you are strengthening us and helping us to work so that one day, God, we will ultimately be restored. That one day we will be made new in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. We will be changed God, help us to long for that day and help us to work to that end. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer, our Rescuer, our hope. Amen.